The following is a special presentation of Alpha Media. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines, in-depth interviews on topics of concern here in Portland and the Northwest. Now, here's your host, Brett Recamp. Thank you so much and welcome in. You have the 285th edition of Beyond the Headlines, a behind-the-scenes look at some of the stories making news here in the Pacific Northwest. As we say goodbye to the month of August and hello to September 2019 on FM News 101. I'm going to start you off this week with something that is kind of near and dear to my heart and has been going on for 11 years now. It's the Standards Volunteer Expo, and it's happening at Pioneer Square this Thursday from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's a very cool free event, and it brings in literally over 100 local nonprofit groups and gives people a chance to go face-to-face and talk about volunteering. I brought in Bob Speltz from The Standard this week to talk about it. Brett, this is our 11th annual Volunteer Expo, and this is an event that's free and open to the public. And what we do is invite 125 nonprofit organizations from around the Portland metro area, and they will be on the square live and in person from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And what we do is encourage people to meet with those organizations, get to know them, and talk about ways that uh, Oregonians can give back by volunteering, by donating money, and other options. Yeah, I've been covering it for years now. I've been down there multiple times myself, but for someone who isn't familiar, describe Pioneer Square during these hours. What's what's it like and what's going on down there? Absolutely. So Pioneer Square is, is affectionately known as Portland's living room. In fact, it is. And this is the, the sunken um, plaza, if you will, that is at the intersection of Southwest 6th Street and Yam Hill in downtown Portland. Gotcha. I like to tell people it's across the street from Nordstrom okay. <laughs> because people know where that is. Um, and it uh, has a long history as a space for Oregonians to gather, um, to celebrate, to mourn, and also to support each other in their communities. So it really is a great space because we can bring 125 organizations together in one one open accessible space. It's easy to find and, and easy to see and uh, come on down by streetcar or TriMet, walk or bike. Well, volunteering is just a wonderful thing. If anyone has ever volunteered, truly volunteered their time, their money or whatever, what is the feeling you get when you actually get involved with something that that you're passionate about probably, right? Yeah, that's a really great question. So the organizations that will be there Thursday rely heavily on unpaid volunteer support and labor. So in plain English, it means that, that people like you and me show up and we might spend a half hour or a half day helping this organization um, deliver on its mission to help um, people, to help animals, to help the environment. Mm-hmm. Could be any number of things. So these are organizations that, that need our help and rely on volunteers to be successful. One of the things I love about uh, volunteering is that it's an opportunity that can be open to anyone. If you have a body, you are a volunteer, and you don't need to be a certain kind of person to volunteer. You just need an open heart and a willingness to spend some of your time engaged in the support of others. The volunteers are really the lifeblood of these folks delivering their mission, which I like. That's a nice way to say it because every organization has a mission 
the reason they were born and the things they like to do, but they can't do it without manpower, most people, most groups. That's right. And many of these organizations wouldn't wouldn't have the resources financially to pay full-time staff to do a lot of this work. And I really think about volunteerism as a as a gift that that pays unique and special dividends to the volunteer. So think of uh, John Lennon's uh, famous saying that the love the love you take is equal to the love you make, and I feel like that extends wholeheartedly to volunteerism. So when you when you give give yourself and you give who you are in service to others. Um, the reward back is is immense, and it's it's very powerful, and it feels really good. This is very Portland, and people like they like to help out. But how can this expo specifically light a fire under someone individually? The fact that you get to speak to the people who are in charge, the people doing the daily work. How can this expo be different from just checking out a place online? Well, what's special about this this expo, it's the largest expo of its kind in Oregon, and it is the opportunity over the course of several hours to, in one place, choose from 125 different options. So you will have human beings uh, who are on hand and available to talk to you and ask answer your questions about an organization's mission, what sorts of volunteer opportunities are available. So this is a little bit different than surfing the web, which is also a great way to find a volunteer opportunity, but you can connect with another human being. Many of the organizations bring printed information with them about the work. Um, Some of the organizations will sign you right up on the spot for volunteerism. And uh, all of these organizations We'll work with you where you're at. So you might have an afternoon. Um, Maybe you are um, an empty nester. Maybe you're recently retired and you have some free time on your hands. Maybe you're very new to Portland and trying to figure out where you want to invest some time you have to volunteer. It could be anything. We meet a lot of high school and college students Hmm. who need to do some community service projects to fulfill various academic requirements so this nothing is a fantastic wrong with that, place right? for them yeah absolutely so when you're there you're going to meet and encounter folks from all walks of life um, some people are just they're just plain curious maybe you're working downtown you're out on your lunch break um, running a couple errands and uh, you hear this commotion and, and clatter over in the square and you want to come check it out so anybody and everyone is welcome Nice. I'm Brett Recamp. You're listening to Beyond the Headlines here, talking with Bob Speltz from The Standard. And the 11th annual Volunteer Expo is happening around lunchtime at in Portland's living room. What are some of the cool stories and organizations, now that you're in your 11th year, coming up on it anyway, that really sort of make the foundation of this thing worthwhile to you guys? Well, we're going to have, again, 125 different organizations representing a broad cross-section of the nonprofit sector in Oregon. So we'll have organizations representing the arts, culture, the humanities, the environment, animal welfare, human and human services, health, you name it, it's going to be there. All sorts of really fun things happen. Um, Lots of connections get made. Um, one of the stories I like to tell 
Um, I'm very fond of um, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. It's an organization very near and dear to my heart. When I was younger growing up uh, without a father, uh, somebody stepped up to volunteer and be my big brother. So I have a great respect and admiration for that organization. And it operates here in Oregon, and they'll be here uh, recruiting bigs, that is uh, adults um, who mentor young people. And this is a place for that organization to connect with uh, young men and young women who may want to become a big. So that is really huge, finding those people, finding volunteers to make a long-term sustained commitment isn't always easy. And so they, this organization's had great luck recruiting there in the past. So that, that is one of my favorite um, stories. But Thank I've heard, you for sharing that, Bob. You, I appreciate you're welcome. That. Yeah. Um, and there are organizations that have had, I mean, I've heard dozens of stories, people who um, have met future board members hmm. at, at this site, um, many people who've recruited volunteers. Some have become donors. So there are a lot of good stories to tell. Okay. If you can't necessarily donate your time or your hands or your muscle, whatever that might be, or your brains, maybe you might want to make a financial contribution. And I know the standard is matching to a certain extent. Can you explain that? Yeah. Yeah. So the expo kicks off our company's employee giving campaign, which takes place during the month of September. So during this time, we invite our employees to make charitable contributions. These are real people. Real people that work at the standard. Yep, absolutely. Live here in Portland and doing regular work. And eighteen hundred of act, them they downtown volunteer. Wow, they do too. And they also make financial contributions, mm-hmm. and the company matches those uh, two for one. And last year we raised just over four point seven million dollars and impacted about eighteen hundred organizations. So we'll do that again. That's like challenge to me. I've it's like the standard rank and file has laid down the gauntlet, and they're putting their money where their mouths are. Yeah. Yeah, and this has been a long uh, tradition at our company and is really a core to our culture, giving back and supporting the communities where our employees live and work. We're real proud of it. We're looking forward to this 11th annual Volunteer Expo put on by The Standard in Portland's living room. It's on Thursday, right in the middle of the day from 11 a.m. to 2. Look forward to seeing everybody out there. More details at standard.com forward slash volunteer. Thanks for the time today. And there is Bob Speltz from The Standard. Appreciate his time for sure. Now, this Volunteer Expo really is awesome. As I mentioned, I've been down there several times myself. And if you have any desire whatsoever to give back to your community by volunteering for your favorite cause, doesn't matter what it is, just go down there and talk face-to-face with someone from a group that you care about. The Standard Volunteer Expo is set for this Thursday right around lunchtime at Portland's Pioneer Square from 11 to 2. The Portland Can Be a Classic is wrapping up this weekend at Columbia Edgewater. Last week, we spoke to the defending champion. This week, we get a chance to hear from USA women's soccer legend Mia Hamm. She was in town for a special appearance at the tournament, and KXL's Justin McDonald got a chance to visit with the soccer star about how things are going for her and her husband, retired major leaguer Nomar Garciaparra. Hi, Mia. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I've been a big fan for a long time. Oh, thank you. Thanks Uh, for having me. Yeah, thanks. Um, So, um, I'll just get started. I only have a few questions. I won't keep you too long. So, um, what brings you to Portland? Well, I mean, Portland's beautiful. Why wouldn't I come here? Um, no, I'm I'm very honored to be a part of the Women's Leadership Summit, Summit here, sponsored by um, Cambia Health Solutions, in conjunction with the Portland Classic, the Women's LPGA event. And um, I will be doing a f- 
kind of a fireside chat. I don't know if there will be a fireplace, but um, and just really talking about uh, women's empower empowerment, resiliency, um, and how we can all kind of help each other make a difference. How did you uh, get involved um, with this? Uh, did they just ask you, or did you volunteer, or how does it work? Um, yes, I was asked, so I was invited, and um, as I said, very honored to be a part of it. I know they have um, not only some incredible people speaking, but obviously uh, local women that have done some some amazing, um, created amazing businesses and our leaders in this community. So uh, to be a part of that is really special. Have you been to Portland before? Um, yes. I've played here in college, played here with, with the national team. Um, I was, I'm very fortunate enough that Nike was a big sponsor of mine. Um, I wouldn't have been able to play professionally without them. And so uh, being a part of, of their family in this community has, means a lot. Excellent, excellent. Now, um, how long are you getting to stick around town? Um, it's kind of a short trip. It is nice um, in terms of this is on the West Coast because I live on the West Coast, um, but I'll, I'll leave shortly after the event. So, yeah, it's a short little trip. So are the lives of two uh, professional athletes pretty demanding, you and your husband? Um, uh, yeah, for, former. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not on a full-time training regiment. I don't have anyone trying to kick me or slide tackle me anymore. But, um, no, I, I think we both feel very fortunate for for our careers. And, you know, now we are um, knee-deep into parenthood of 12-year-old twin girls and a 7-year-old and, um, you know, that takes up a lot of our time, but being able to be a part of events like this, especially those that, that bring kind of insightful and strong women together about how we can continue to make a difference, um, not only in our communities, but across the country is, is important. That was my next question. What was going to be kind of your theme for your actual speech? Um, or do you just kind of wing it? Do you, do you write it out, um, or what do you do? Well, if, if, so tomorrow is more of a Q&A, um, so it's a little more personal. I think sometimes when I, I'm, I'm, I never claim to be a motivational speaker, so this is, it's great to kind of sit down and, and go back and forth and kind of bring thoughts and feelings um, out, so... For me, it's just sharing, I've always just shared my personal story of, of people and events that have influenced my life and, and how that's molded me as not just an athlete, but as a person and how I want to continue to give back going forward. Excellent. Excellent. Now, how did you feel about this year's uh, soccer hoopla? The hoopla? Wasn't it you amazing? The women winning the World Cup? Yeah. I mean, come on. It was unbelievable. It was so great. My family and I were over there and were able to see it in person. Now, incredibly proud of um, not just how they, you know, the fact that they won, but how they did it. Right. And, um, you know, continued success for them and our program is is important. Yeah, I would think anytime you're involved with anything and then when you're not in, you know, involved in on a day-to-day anymore and something like that happens, you just can't help but just be bursting, you know. I, just, that's, uh, I still feel that same way. I'm a former hockey player, too, and 
Yeah, no. Anytime I hear hear like my old junior team win something big, I just get so excited. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. But, Justin, I I really appreciate it. I've got to run off to an event right now. No worries. But um, thank you for for letting me chat with you. There is Mia Hamm, USA women's soccer star, taking a few minutes with KXL's Justin McDonald. The Women's Leadership Summit at the Cambia Portland Classic was established in 2016 to promote mentorship, empowerment, and and help lift up and inspire one another. You're listening to the 285th edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Brett Recamp. What if I told you you could get a flu shot that would last you for life? No more need to get a flu shot every year. Researchers at OHSU are working on a lifetime flu shot. It's pretty groundbreaking. And it turns out vaccine researcher Jonah Sasha actually contracted influenza while traveling. He brought it back to the U.S. and infected his pregnant wife and their four-year-old son. Now, he's using a major donation of research money to try and stop that from ever happening again. There's a lot to unpack here, so here is KXL's Jim Ferretti speaking with OHSU researcher Jonah Sasha. All right, and I understand you got a $12 million grant, is that right? <laughs> I wish. No, no, 12, 12 million was, was a total commitment across six labs uh, around the world. We're getting $1.7 million here at OHSU. Very good. And how does that, how's that going to help you? Uh, this is going to allow us to test our new concept for a universal lifelong vaccine against influenza. Okay, that'd be great because I don't want to get flu shots every year. I like that <laughs> idea. Me too. Um, you know, I, I think part of the issue is that the annual flu vaccine is essentially an educated guess as, as to what strains are going to come up. It's often mismatched against what actually happens and so it's not always effective. And I think that causes problems because... One, people get infected and they can still get sick with flu. But secondly, it kind of erodes people's overall um, faith in vaccines when you have an annual vaccine like this for, for influenza. Well, doesn't the flu change every year, though? That's the heart of the matter is that H, um, influenza, like HIV, actually changes it, its shape every year. And so that's why the vaccine has to change every year. And you're working on something where that wouldn't have to happen. Exactly. So we're, we're taking an approach where instead of targeting the surface of the virus, which is what the body usually keys in on, we're honing in on the center of the virus, the internal or the guts of it that are really well conserved and can't change. And so that's the, uh, the basis behind being able to make a universal vaccine for influenza. And where are you on making this happen? Currently, we are in preclinical trials. Uh, we'll be doing this here at OHSU and with our um, funding companion at, in Winnipeg, Canada, the National Microbiology Laboratory. And that is where we'll be testing this uh, in macaques. And if it is successful, then it would then be going into uh, clinical trials. So preclinical trials and testing it in, in macaques, that means you actually have something on hand right now. Correct. We have the vaccine uh, made. We're growing it up to manufacture it, and that will be tested in the coming year. Man, this is this is truly exciting, is it not? It, it, I, I'm extremely excited about this for, for a, a lot of reasons. One um, is that the Gates Foundation is very visionary in terms of they realize what the major problems are uh, for infectious disease, and they put money behind it to solve it. So I'm very excited to be responsive to something that is such a uh, a major problem in the world, and also uh, to have the funding to be able to go after this and begin to test a solution for it. And I don't know if you can touch the, on this or not, but the the flu. I mean, it is it is seriously a deadly disease or Influ- infection. Influenza is absolutely deadly. You know, every year, um, there's a, a, a people that die 
Um, typically, the elderly are the very young. Um, and also, you know, the, the, that's just annual flu. There's also these things called uh, pandemic flus that arise. For example, um, 1918 influenza, that was the influenza that came up in the year 1918 that killed more people um, than World War I and World War II combined. And last year was 100 years since 1918 influenza, and that was actually the impetus for why Bill Gates wanted to put money towards uh, making it a universal influenza vaccine. And how long have you been working on this vaccine? I've been working on this particular vaccine since my arrival uh, at OHSU back in 2011. Um, this particular vaccine platform is the reason I came here in the first place. It's, um, I'm actually an HIV researcher, and this vaccine platform has shown remarkable efficacy against um, HIV also tubercul- and also tuberculosis. It's now in clinical, moving into clinical trials into humans. Um, and so if, if we see efficacy in our preclinical studies, then we, you know, we could essentially uh, move this quickly into, into humans. Okay, and I'm sorry, I just have to ask you, you mentioned HIV and tuberculosis, so there's already, uh, you're already working on, or not you, but I mean just researchers working on, on a vaccine that may t- tackle both of those problems? Correct. So this vaccine is based on cytomegalovirus, or CMV. This is a, a, a virus that most people are infected with, and once you're infected with it, it just sits there and doesn't do much, but it turns out to be the perfect platform for a vaccine. And my, uh, my colleagues here, Dr. Lewis Picker and Klaus Frew, um, decided this would be a great vaccine platform to use for HIV. And the results have been really impressive, so much so that that's what drew me here to OHSU to come and work both on the HIV um, aspect, but now influenza as well. Okay, and very quickly, the platform itself has been, you, you mentioned you came in 2011. When did this all start? I believe the original idea arose in 2003. So it's been in the works for quite some time. That gives you an idea of the scale of something going from an idea in someone's head to a product that goes into the clinic into people. And preclinical trials coming up, how long until we actually see this um, being used with humans? So the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation set an aggressive timeline where they want these vaccines to go into humans in 2021. Um, I don't know if we'll quite hit that, but I think um, in the early 2020s is is reasonable if we see efficacy in the preclinical work. Very good. Doctor, is there anything I missed that we should talk about? no, you know, just to say that you know influenza is absolutely a terrible disease. What, what sparked my interest in this was in 2013. I was traveling to Australia for an HIV conference, and I actually picked up uh, H1N1 swine flu, despite the fact that I was vaccinated. And I brought that home and gave it to my uh, wife, who was pregnant at the time, and my four-year-old child. Um, and he was pretty sick. We wound up at the OHSU emergency room, where they confirmed that it was H1N1 swine flu. And that episode was horrendous and was, was the reason why I thought, you know, we really need to have a better vaccine for influenza. And so that's why I started working on it. And how is everybody in your family today? Oh, everyone, everyone's great. Uh, it was a miserable week for all of us, but, you know, we, we, we made it through, which is great. It is amazing how a personal experience can change your outlook on life, huh? Absolutely. Man, what a story there. Thanks for that update on a possible lifetime flu vaccine from a person with firsthand experience with influenza. Vaccine researcher Jonah Sasha from OHSU. And thanks again to Jim for that interview. Finally this week, we could be on the verge of a grocery worker strike. KXL's Annette Newell speaking with Kelly McAllister with UFCW Local 555 on Friday after a Thursday night meeting. And here is the bulk of their conversation. So, so Kelly, you had quite the evening. Tell me about it. What went on? Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, it was a busy negotiation day. Uh, and at, at the end of it all, we put forth 
um, we let the employers know that we were beginning the noticing process to cancel extensions on a group of contracts. So in other words, you're getting ready to strike. Well, in other words, we're getting ready for action. And there are a couple of different ways that that could play out. Um, So it doesn't necessarily mean a strike, but an economic action is on the horizon for sure. When you say economic action, what could that potentially be? I don't believe at this point we're listing out the different choices for everyone just because really no point in showing the entire playbook of possibilities to the employer. Uh-huh. But, at the, you know, the tone of, the, of the, the release you sent out, it sounded angry. You were talking about how the workers have been paid less than minimum wage. And if that's the case, could that be a legal action? Oh, so it's uh, one of their offers was less than minimum wage, which was, uh, it is, we are angry. Um, because in order to come up with a contract, where you do the math wrong and you end up with less than minimum wage, that only happens if you're trying to pay someone as little as humanly possible. So they were trying to get away, I think, with as little as they possibly could, and they accidentally uh, put an offer forward that gave that would have been illegal, that would not have met minimum wage requirements. And so we let them know, and they corrected it. But that, to me, is the sign of someone who is not interested in, in even trying that's someone who just wants to get away with as little as they can get away with. Now, you're asking for a federal mediator to come in. Yes. What is their response to that? So uh, what is the employer's response to that? Or Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Uh, that's a good question. Um, okay. I haven't asked them. Uh, a federal mediator is typically available in negotiations, in, in any sort of bargaining negotiation. Someone is assigned to every negotiation that happens. Whether or not we call that person in is up to the players at the table, and we think it's time to bring someone in so that we can have them help the employers see what what a reasonable, reasonable proposal looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how far away are you at this point after all, all those hours put in? Um, nearly as far away as we were before yesterday. Not, not very much uh, movement towards the middle at all. So what, what can you say what they're offering? I, well, so the bargaining etiquette indicates that we don't talk about proposals that are on the table. We at UFCW try to take that very seriously. It's just etiquette. It's not a, a requirement. Fred Meyer put, puts out their comprehensive offers typically. So if Fred Meyer were to put out a comprehensive offer, we would be able to confirm that but we won't talk about what their offer was unless they're the ones who want to give, make that information public. Um, and then you're talking about some 20,000 employees? This Correct. Cover. Right. Um, we, we have 25,000 members, but the difference, that gap between 20 and 25, is because we also have members in the healthcare sector and in plants and manufacturing. Okay. So those are those positions a different union or not unionized, do you mean? No, they're the same union. They're oh. just not part of this unity negotiation because this unity negotiation is for our grocery workers. Okay. The grocery workers, what is their, I mean, you're talking about their, um, they're refusing to pay enough to keep their own employees off public assistance. Are you saying mm-hmm. that there's just a lot of people under the, working mm-hmm. for these companies, but, but um, requiring public assistance, you yes. know? Mm-hmm. Impoverished? Yes. Impoverished? Many, many of them are on welfare. Many of them are homeless. They live in break rooms. Uh, they live in their cars. They live out in tents in the back of the store. Um, there are horrifying stories 
um, I remember the one that really caught me a couple of years ago, what really hit me in the gut was a pregnant woman with a toddler who was working full-time and living in the forest. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So our people aren't being paid enough to survive. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll be right there. Um, and we've been trying to make this case to the employers for quite a while, and we are just, we're just done. It, we can't expect our members to continue to live like this and not be able to, to buy food for their families. How is this going to affect an average customer if, if these grocery store workers are on strike? What are they going to see? Um, I think what customers will see if there is a strike is they'll see a picket line outside the store and then people asking them to show solidarity by not shopping there, not crossing the picket line. Other actions would just be based on consumer behavior, just a question of whether you're willing to not shop somewhere, I think, you know, in order to, to demonstrate that you stand with the workers. And do you think that the workers are willing to go on strike, even though they're, you know, obviously they are of limited means? Uh, it's, it's one of those things. It's an odd catch-22, right? It's a problem where if you don't stand up for yourself, the employers, as we've seen over a long, long period of negotiations, not just this negotiation, they will, you know, they'll take advantage of whatever they perceive to be a weakness. And sometimes you have to just stand up and say, I'm going to stand up, even though it's inconvenient and scary and hard. All right, there is Kelly McAllister with UFCW Local 555 talking with KXL's Annette Newell about a labor disagreement grocery workers are having with their employers. We certainly hope for the best here, and we shall see. You have been listening to Beyond the Headlines, a behind-the-scenes look at some of this week's stories. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brett Recamp. If you missed anything, the podcast is up at KXL.com, and you can download the show on iTunes or Google Play. Just look for Beyond the Headlines, KXL. Now 285 shows to choose from. I'm Brett Recamp on FM News 101. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Headlines, in-depth interviews on topics of concern here in Portland and the Northwest. This has been a special presentation of Alpha Media.